Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation for those who own, manage or protect intellectual property. Hello, I'm Howard Reed, European patent attorney and partner at Appleyard Lees, joined today by Kate Hickinson, also European patent attorney and partner at Appleyard Lees. Today we're going to be talking about the unitary patent and the unified patent court. Hello, Kate. Thanks, Howard. We spoke recently about the Unitary Patent and the Unified Patent Court, and we were all set to go with the start date of the 1st of April 2023. However, we now have a start date of the 1st of June 2023, with a summarised period due to start on the 1st of March 2023. As I understand it, we'll get the dates for definite once Germany deposit their instrument of ratification and although I haven't heard anything more on that recently, I think that hopefully will go ahead in February. But there was this delay of two months. And this was to do with the fact that we had to prepare for a strong authentication that was is required to access the case management system or the CMS. I know you've spent quite a lot of time looking at this, haven't you, Howard? Currently, users of the case management system for the UPC can access this via beta system. And the UPC wanted the users to have more opportunity to make use of the beta system and particularly to test and trial the strong authentication that is required for all users of the case management system. This is why we have this uh, postponed start date by some two months to allow that further test and trial. And my understanding is that we need individual certificates for this new system rather than one that's across the whole organisation. Is that correct? That's entirely correct, Kate. So the authentication relates to a particular user, either a lawyer who is qualified to act before a court of a contracting state of the um, UPC, or a European patent attorney who is appropriately qualified. Furthermore, administrative staff can also make use of the case management system. But in each case, individual authentication is required. And this is new to most users of the European patent system. So I think you've managed to get your certificate now, haven't you? Indeed. There are some providers of appropriate certificates um, in Europe. The UPC has relatively recently published a list of providers who appear to meet the requirements, and this has been further reinforced coming through, for example, um, EPI and uh, SEPA in the UK. So hopefully we'll now all be ready to go from the 1st of March And that is what we're very much expecting. So um, we, as other uh, patent attorney firms and indeed patentees, are trialling the system to ensure fitness for starting at the sunrise period on the 1st of March 2023. It was quite a relief that we got that two-month delay. In some respects, yes, because it allows further testing and trial. On the other hand, actions that are being prepared in order to meet the earlier deadline. And so there was disappointment also regarding the further apparent postponement of the start of the UPC. 
But although we've had that postponement, we do have some actions that we can take as of the 1st of January this year, don't we? And these are actions that have been put in place by the EPO. We have indeed, Kate, yes. So here very much the, the EPO, the European Patent Office, has held to their previously agreed plan, which allows for delaying grant of European patents and early request for unitary patents. The EPO had already planned um, earlier in November that this would be available from the 1st of January 2023, with the postponement of the sunrise period um, as a result of the postponement of the opening of the UPC, the EPO has kept to that date of the 1st of January 2023, such that we can simply delay grant of a European patent for longer, and we can request a unitary patent effectively earlier. So in terms of delaying grant, that requires the filing of a EPO form, I think a form 2025, and we have to have had a Rule 71.3 communication issued in order to be able to, to delay grant, don't we? Um, and it, also the form has to be filed before we approve the text. But from what I've read, the EPO will accept that if the response to the 71.3 is filed on the same day as the request to delay grant. But it's really important to remember that we do still have to respond to the 71.3 communication in time. Yes, Kate. One thing I will highlight is that the request to delay grant is only available up until the start of the UPC on the 1st of June 2023 as currently planned. That is, we can only request a delay of grant during the, this period of some five months. I'll also add that by delaying grant, you do not necessarily have to request also a unitary patent um, there are other reasons why applicants may choose to delay grant of their European patent, although commonly it is at this stage to be able to request a unitary patent or at least to explore further whether or not they wish to request a unitary patent. So I've been instructed by one client to file an opt-out on a pending European application. I understand that's because they're concerned that an opt-out is only effective once it's entered onto the UPC register and they want to make sure that there's no time where the patent falls under the jurisdiction of the UPC and they want to achieve that by opting out before grant. When I've thought about this, I've thought that perhaps that's something that we might look at for our clients when we've received a Rule 71.3 communication. Have you given any thought to that, Howard? Yes, Kate. So certainly the UPC agreement allows for opting out of European patent applications and this would then at least suggest that the applicant does not intend to request a unitary patent later on, though they can of course always opt out. Filing the request to opt out early is conservative and generally is not necessary to do until no earlier than the um, response to the 71.3 if we're thinking about, say, best controlling costs. When I've thought about it, I wondered whether it's something that 
might be most important towards the end of a transition period, although, of course, that's some way off. Maybe people will want to opt out their applications if they're going to grant after the end of the transition period. I assume that that means that they would then remain opted out, but I'm not 100% sure on that. It's probably a useful reminder that you can opt out once and you can withdraw the request for opt-out once. And this is irrespective of any succession of title. So suppose, for example, your patent is subsequently assigned, um, having after a request for opt-out has been withdrawn, then the assignee cannot uh, subsequently again request an opt-out. So there are all these considerations to be made. If a client instructs us to request an opt-out for a granted European patent or even indeed a pending European patent application, we will ask for a mandate, effectively a power of attorney for want of a, a better term, which will be wet signed by the true proprietor of that European patent or European patent application. Though this will only be necessary or probably necessary during the sunrise period, after which mandates will not be required where the opt-outs are filed by appropriately qualified European patent attorneys such as Kate and myself. So in some cases, our clients are quite large companies that can have quite complicated company structures. Do you expect that we may get questions as to who can sign the mandates, Howard? I expect very much yes. If it is not clear that the person signing is authorised to sign on behalf of the true proprietor, then further evidence may be required. Another complicating factor in all of this may be if there has been assignment or transfer of the European patent or European patent applications running up to the request to opt out since the patent was granted or patent application filed, for example. So uh, recordal of transfers may also be required before the opt-out can be requested. So another action that we've been taking recently is looking at who can register as a representative before the UPC. We can't do this yet, but we'll be able to do it via the CMS once the sunrise period begins. So EPAs that are entitled to act before the EPO and that have appropriate qualifications, such as the European Litigation Certificate, will be able to act. So as I understand it, there's a one-year transition period in which we can request to be registered as a representative before the UPC. And during that time, it might be that other qualifications may be considered to count towards this. Yes, Kate. The UPC has issued a list of those courses that will qualify 
a European patent attorney to be entitled to represent before the UPC. Um, this includes many qualifications taken by, uh, for example, UK European patent attorneys, um, provided that they have um, successfully completed those courses prior to, I think it's the 31st of December 2020. Um, this, of course, being a consequence of uh, Brexit. So many UK European patent attorneys will be effectively grandfathered in via this provision. Yes, yeah, so I think that lots of applicants will make use of the opportunity to delay grant because it gives them at least the opportunity to delay making a decision about whether they would like to request a unitary patent and just allows more time for, for making decisions around this new system. As I understand it, the EPO has advised that about a 1,000 requests to delay grant have been filed already in January this year. So it does seem like people are using it. And it's certainly making life easier because before we had this opportunity, we were coming up with ways to not approve the text and delay grant in, you know, through various other routes. So I think this is a helpful um, step forward. There are a couple of points that we should of course, remember when delaying grant. One is that renewal fees continue to have be payable before the EPO, so that still must be done during this period. And furthermore, of course, we're delaying actually the grant, and that is when the patent becomes in force and when action could be taken um, in respect to that patent, for example, action with respect to alleged infringement. So whilst that is not very common. These are things that need to be balanced when thinking about delaying grant. So the other new action that we can take from the 1st of January is to file an early request for a unitary patent. And again, this is only available when a Rule 71.3 communication has issued. And it's only available until the UP system begins. Exactly, Kate. This is really for applicants who have decided that the unitary patent, the UP, is for them. In most cases, the, the applicants will be requesting a unitary patent together with validations in some of those countries which are not contracting states of the UP and the UPC, such as the UK, Spain or Poland. I've had a couple of clients ask about this new option and I felt that it was important to highlight the costs because if you're filing a request for a unitary patent, then there are translation requirements, of course. So if the patent specification is in English, which for most of our clients it is, then um, we have to file a translation into another language of a member state. And this is a cost that clients might not be used to. So they might get the headline news that you don't have to pay a fee for requesting a unitary patent, but obviously there are other associated costs with that. As we know, currently for an EP patent, um, there is the requirement to file the translations of the claims into the other two languages, the other two official languages of the EPO. So typically uh, French and German, where the language of the proceedings is English. In contrast, for a unitary patent, we're required to file a complete translation of the specification of the granted patent into 
a language other than the language of the proceedings. So if the language of the proceedings is English, then the translation can be into any official language of an EU member state. While if the language of the proceedings was French or German, the translation must be into English. So this is quite a significant change from what is done currently and may add additional cost. I will note that the requirement to file translations is only during a transitional period of uh, six years, though this may be extended by up to um, a further six years to a maximum of 12 years. Um, we also note, actually, that the translations are really being used to train the AI uh, translation that the EPO and UPC will use, rather than to provide for any legal basis. Yeah, there's been quite a lot of discussion, hasn't there, about whether you can use a machine translation. Um, but I think the conclusion at the moment is that that's not the best course of action, although it would, of course, be a lot cheaper for, for applicants. As far as we know, there's no sanction if a machine translation is filed. However, our recommendation is that a human translation is filed. We've been quite busy with this over the last year or so, and now we have what looks to be a definite start date. We've got more actions that we're, we're taking and trying to educate our clients and, and get decisions. So any patentees and applicants who have applied for European patent applications should have heard from their representatives and need to be considering the new systems and whether they need to take action now. And at Appyard Lees, we have a team of people who are looking at the UP and the UPC. If anybody would like to get in touch with their questions. Thanks for listening to the Green Shoots podcast by Appyard Lees. If you have a question or issue you would like our IP specialists to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at Appyard Lees or email us at ip at appyardlees.com.